Life changes when you make yourself a priority and when you choose to take responsibility for your happiness and healing. By listening to this podcast, you'll learn about adoption from all sides of the adoption triad and you'll walk away with self-healer tools so that you know how to adopt yourself and transform your life by accepting, choosing, unconditionally loving, and prioritizing you. You don't have to be an adoptee to adopt yourself. Anyone can do it. And remember, adoption doesn't happen overnight and neither does adopting yourself. So practice patience and self-compassion and message me if you have any questions or desire guidance. Thank you for listening. I love you. Hello, my loves, and welcome to episode numero dos of the Adopt Yourself podcast. I am super excited to be recording another episode and to be sharing more with you about my life, my learnings, and yeah, my knowledge. I, in the past, I have uh, typed up a bunch of little notes and things I'd like to say, and today I was like, nope, just going straight from the heart, straight, straight from the mind, and whatever universe and spirit wants to channel through me. On this episode, I my intention is to speak about who I am and how I got here. So who am I and how did I get here? That's a great question. Uh, I believe that we are more than just humans. I believe that we, our souls in human bodies, aka human body suits. I believe that we are souls and spirits and that there are multiple souls and spirits in each of us. And I believe that you're listening to me right now because we've traveled another life together. Now some of these concepts may sound, oh yeah, totally, fully understand, fully agree. And to some people, and to others, maybe like, Allie, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) And the thing is, there's no right or wrong. There's just belief, and there's just experience. And we all have a choice of what we choose to believe and how we choose to experience things. That's what's just so beautiful about this life. So, my beliefs include us as souls predetermining our lives. We decide how we're born into this life, who our parents are, who our family is, what our lessons are that we choose to have as souls. That's why we're coming back to this life, to this plane, to this realm. And for me, I am still learning what my lessons are um, for this lifetime, as I will be until the day I pass. And that's what's beautiful about it. We never reach a place where we just know until we pass on, or this is at least what I believe. And I do know some of the reasons why I'm here. I chose to be adopted for many reasons. Part of it is I chose to be adopted so that I could get to the place where I'm at right now and guide other adoptees through healing. And I chose to be adopted to bring another voice to adoption, to what goes on, how adoptees feel, how I feel what happens and what the healing is surrounding it. I chose my parents because they're extremely supporting and loving. And for so many other reasons, which I'll be getting into in other episodes, I've had a a ton of really wonderful, transformative learnings from my parents, and I'm just so grateful that they're in my life. I, from, let's see, 
from a very young age, I felt like I didn't belong. I actually felt that way pretty much my entire life until the past few years of my life. And part of that, I just thought was normal. And then later on, I realized that it was linked to me being adopted. That I didn't fully understand who I was, or I kept identifying that I didn't understand who I was because I didn't know my bloodline. I've had more identity crises than I can tell you. Uh, even just before the age of 10, I probably had five or six different huge identity crises that I doubt my parents labeled as that, but that's definitely what I was experiencing. Part of me felt that my whole family would be taken away from me or that I would be taken from them. And I'll be getting much more into my adoption story and how it, I experienced being raised in a, as an adoptee um, in, in my next episode. <clears throat> in the meantime, how did I get here? So I am turning 32 in just, um, just over two months. And I've gone through a lot. <laughs> just as I'm sure you have. This has been an extremely beautiful life. I am so privileged to have had the opportunities that I've had, even the opportunity to be here right now, recording a podcast and sharing my story with the world. Huge privilege. And I'm so grateful for it. I had a very stable, generally speaking, a very stable childhood. I feel like there are memories that I've blacked out, I've blocked out of my memory bank um, because I noticed a pattern of me doing that later on in life. So. It's something I'm exploring with hypnosis <clears throat> to see if there was something else that happened um, that was linked to the other things in my life. I'll keep you posted on that. <laughs> um, in the meantime, I will phrase my upbringing and my experiences as how I currently view them, um, even though intuition is telling me there's something else. I was raised in a very loving, supportive family. I am a white woman of privilege and I have had anything I've desired, I've gained, I've had, I've achieved. And a lot of that is due to my wealthy family. Uh, which I am extremely grateful for. And growing up, being a, especially being adopted into a wealthy family, I had serious shame and guilt around it. It's something I'm still navigating now. Um, and it's also part of me understanding that our brains are simply wired to look for what's wrong. And my relationship with money has been growing and evolving and healing. And I was always raised to volunteer, to give back. And so that was never a problem for me. But I think it was just the fact of knowing that my life would have been very different had I not been adopted. And not only was I adopted into a great family, they were also, they're also a wealthy family. And that makes a big difference sometimes. But I still had shame and guilt around it, and the thing is, it's how our minds work is that really we just look for what's wrong. So growing up, I really loved playing sports. I felt that that, that was my calling, that I would play volleyball the rest of my life. 
and then I would go play college, I would probably play afterwards, and that would be my thing. And over the years, I realized what was going on in my mind during that time was I felt like I kept being chosen to play on people's teams because of my height. I kept being accepted because of my athletic abilities and my physical assets. And in high school, I would get hit on because I was like the tall, hot, new freshman. And looking back, I realized so much of what I was experiencing and going through and moving through and where I felt lack was really, I felt like people weren't seeing me for who I was. They were seeing and accepting me for the shell of the body that I was in. In high school, I ended up starting to cut myself. I wasn't doing it to harm myself. I was doing it to feel something. I had felt very numb, and I was also crying out for attention from my parents. And I then went into therapy, where I then went to a psychiatrist, and I was diagnosed with depression. And looking back and thinking back, and I've meditated over this a lot as well, of just getting myself back into that mind state, back into that physical state and emotional state, I didn't feel like there was anyone I could talk to about what I was experiencing. I didn't feel like anyone understood me. And it wasn't only when I was in high school, it was my whole life. And part of that was because I was an adoptee who didn't have other adoptees to talk to. My, it was wonderful that when I was very young, my parents did uh, join this adoptive parent support group. And I did meet a few people from that, and but I was probably like five or six. I, or we left it when I was probably seven years old or so. Um, or maybe even sooner than that. And we left it because my parents didn't agree with the other parents. Uh, my parents have told me ever since I was born that I was adopted. I honestly understood the word adoption just as quickly as I understood the words mom and dad. And other parents in the group were saying that they were not going to tell their children that they were adopted and that they didn't want the birth parents to be any part of it and shouldn't know anything about the kids and... They were very closed off and um, very narrow-minded, and my parents didn't want to be around that. They didn't want me to be around that because I love my parents so much for this. They just want to be truthful and open and supportive in the best way that they can. And not to say that anything is right or wrong, um, but they did what they believed was best for me, and I agree with them that that is what was best for me. So growing up, I had a few friends from that group, one friend um, that we were close until about age nine when we moved. Um, and pretty much ever since then, I didn't have many adoptee friends until the past few years of my life. And part of it was I didn't understand at that time that having someone to talk to who had similar experiences as me would have really helped. And going into college, I so I was recruited to play volleyball um, in high school. And as I was being recruited by different teams, I suddenly had, <clears throat> I suddenly had the beginning of what was a dislocated disc in my back. And the doctors basically said if I kept competing at the high level that I was, that it was going to get worse. And so after a lot of consideration, I decided to stop playing as competitively. And it completely added to my depression. It made me feel even more lost. Um, in school, I really didn't care much about school. Uh, I loved art class. I loved English class, 
I loved history class. And, <clears throat> excuse my throat, it's a little scratchy. I wasn't really that into school. And so when this happened, <clears throat> so when this happened, I felt extremely lost. I did, um, I had signed up to go <clears throat> to University of Colorado at Boulder, and it was such a beautiful, gorgeous campus. I was so excited to go there, and um, and so I knew that I would end up choosing some type of schooling, I just or some type of major. I just honestly had no idea what. And yeah, CU Boulder was a great school. It was the in the top three party schools of the country at the time. And so that's what I was doing. <laughs> um, I also played club volleyball, which was super fun. And we traveled a lot for that. And um, I was in a moment and in a time where it was freshman year and a lot of my friends were linking up with different boyfriends. And I started to feel like really alone because they weren't hanging out with me as much and I started to feel somewhat desperate that I really just wanted a boyfriend I just wanted like someone to cuddle with and hang out with all the time and that is when I met my ex-boyfriend and we had about a three and a half year relationship and during that time um I was studying, I was in a course called Violence Against Women and Girls, and I was reading about these women who would make excuses for their partners, boyfriends, and husbands, and I was one of those women. I brainwashed myself to think that what I was experiencing at the time was not emotionally or mentally abusive. I made excuses for the few times he slapped me across the face. I made excuses for the times he yelled at me in front of other people. I made excuses for everything he did. And I didn't identify as a survivor, as a rape victim for at least two, three years after the relationship had ended. I was terrified that that had actually happened. And I'll be getting into that in more details in a later episode. Um, but some of my biggest learnings from that relationship were that I... I honestly just kept making excuses. I thought that relationships weren't easy and I thought that love wasn't easy and I thought that what I was experiencing with him was love. And I believe that we manifest everything. We either consciously or subconsciously manifest everything in our lives. And I feel that I so badly wanted to feel love that I was open to receiving it from anyone. And I believe that being a codependent people pleaser, which stemmed from the trauma of my adoption, was then reflected into an abusive relationship and entanglement that brought a ton of darkness, toxicity, and depression to my life. And so when I freed myself from that relationship, and the only way after, it, after the emotional abuse, the mental abuse, the few little physical abuses and the rape, I was still there. And what got me, what, what turned the light bulb on in my head 
was the day he told me that he wanted to marry me. And that's when I, that's completely the exact moment where I woke up. Where I was immediately thinking, oh my God, no, I'm, I'm not signing up for this for the rest of my life. And that's when I got out of it. I haven't spoken to him. Let's see, it's 2020. I haven't spoken to him in about 10 years. And every time I talk about it, it's like I'm reliving the trauma every single time. He feels so close to me right now because I'm just talking about it and feeling it. And it feels like another lifetime ago of that whole experience. Because I'm, I've grown so much from who I was then. And at the same time, it's like it's my baby self. It's my little baby self going through that. Um, that relationship taught me so much. And there are so many lessons, learnings, tools that I learned from being in an abusive relationship. Um, yeah, I grew a lot from that. So fast forward. Uh, so after that relationship, I didn't really let anyone touch me for a few years. I, um, didn't think of dating whatsoever. I was completely blocked off, uh, emotionally. I... But my spiritual practices really have been strong the past six years or so. Um, so this was a, over 10 years ago. And this was really, yeah, this was really when I was in an extremely deep, dark depression. I understood firsthand how and why people take their lives. And I knew, I was like, that's not me. I know there's more for me in this life. And so I didn't even let myself go down that route. Um, but I definitely reached a place where I physically, mentally, and emotionally understood how people make that decision. And it's taken me a while to let myself feel and talk about these past times in my life. I'm feeling hot just thinking about it. Um, I'll be doing another episode on mental health and depression and what my, I've experienced um, as well as bringing on um, other experts in the field. When you've experienced trauma or a traumatic experience and you talk about it again, as you talk about it, your entire body re-experiences it. And my throat has felt more closed up the second I even thought about starting to talk about this again. And... I'll be getting into more details about trauma and how that affects the mind and body and emotions and all of that in later episodes. Um, but just know that if you have experienced trauma, when you do speak about it, you relive it. And when you relive it, you go back into a trauma brain. And at times your story doesn't match up. At times it doesn't go in sequence order because you're reliving it either consciously or not. So I'll be jumping much more into that in a later episode. Um, so in college, I studied political science, and I thought that I was going to run for office one day. Um, that was the path that I was pretty set on. I was reading at least five media outlets daily, 
I was running a healthcare campaign. I was heavily involved in nonprofit work. I was on the student state board of a national nonprofit. I was, that was me. <laughs> and when I graduated, the recession had hit. And so I was working retail at Urban Outfitters. Um, and I, my dad actually had the idea. He was like, why don't you move to New York and try to get a job in fashion and see what happens? And I was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> um, although I was still quite low mentally and emotionally, and I was very depressed, I knew that that was a huge opportunity. Uh, my brother was still studying there, so I ended up moving in with him and his friend. And I got a job within a week. Um, it was all just very synchronistic, meant to be divine timing. I jumped straight into the fashion world and I really went into a true hustle mode. Again, I wasn't dating. I was new to the city. I didn't know anyone there except my brother and his friend. I just went full on, complete codependent into my work. I became a complete workaholic and I made myself so valuable to that company um, and I switched to another company later on um, and I didn't mention one thing earlier. So when I was very depressed after my, uh, it's so funny because part of me is like hesitant to to pause this and restart it. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to keep going through it because I'm just, this is me just channeling and whatever. Um, so when uh, I'm, before I went to New York, I was working at Urban Outfitters in LA for a little while. And I also helped a friend open up a brownie store. And if you ever tried Beverly Hills brownies, that's the store I helped open. And unfortunately, she's still out of out of business now. But oh, they were such good brownies. Um, so when I was in LA for the short time that I was, I uh, met my soulmate. I it was my first day at Urban Outfitters on Third Street Promenade and I saw this woman from across the room and I immediately just felt in my gut who is she she's she's my fat she's my best friend I know it and I her name was Eden and she lit up a room every single time I saw her she always lit up the room and Eden taught me what true friendship was, what true friendship is. He didn't taught me unconditional love. He didn't taught me how to see myself again. And Eden is, I got myself out of depression, but Eden is who really did it. She came into my life at my lowest time and she brought so much joy into my life and so much love into my life. And I'm just forever grateful for her. Um, she passed away. I can't believe it's been this long. She passed away five and a half years ago. And... She's still with me every day. I feel her every day. I talk to her all the time. And I'll be talking much more about her in a later episode and um, what she brought to my life and what she brought to the lives of everyone she encountered. She's a true, magical, magical being who lives on within all of us. And... Eden really catapulted me into seeing myself, to releasing what had happened. She's the first person I told I was raped, and she remained the only person I told that I was raped until she passed away. And 
she's just, yeah, she's just such an amazing person. And just being spirit, everything. So, back to New York. Um, so, I was in New York for four years. Um, when Eden passed away, I was living in New York. And I'll get into more details about her passing a later time. Uh, she lost her physical battle with cancer. And when that happened, so I still wasn't dating at the time. I was very involved in work. And I did, at that time, uh, I did have a ton of friends. Um, but when she passed away so suddenly my entire world crumbled and I really just felt more alone than I had ever felt in my life and I wasn't that spiritual then um, I had identified as Jewish and um, Buddhist at other at times in my life, but I didn't really have daily spiritual practices. I hadn't connected much to my intuition. I was very blocked off from a lot of what I have now. And I just remember what my grandmother would say to me, what my grandmother taught me when my grandfather passed away. Um, and uh, which I'll be getting into about grief in another episode, but uh, I just remembered what she said is that we don't die, we just pass on. There's just another chapter. And when Eden passed, I immediately started seeing sunflowers everywhere. I started seeing 111 everywhere, all the time, multiple times a day. And I knew. She was still with me. I still felt her with me. And I knew that there was much more to uncover around life after death. I just wasn't really prepared to experience it or go through that um, as I was still grieving the loss of her life. And when she passed away, I woke the fuck up. I thought to myself, what are you doing with your life? What are you not doing with your life? Why are, like, I, ga I had gained 60 pounds from high school until through college. I had gained 60 pounds. I lost a little bit, and then I gained it more. So I was about 60 pounds overweight. I wasn't really happy. I was working nonstop. And I decided, okay, cool. I'm going to go on birthright. I'm going to go to Israel and I'm going to hopefully make friends. I knew at the time that I desired to move back to LA. So I did a trip out of LA. Um, and I met some of the most incredible human beings, some of which are my best friends today. And on that trip, I got sick. Um, funny enough, we were in the Bedouin tents, and um, I'm not gonna say it here. I'm not sure where else I'll say it. I had, <laughs> this is like way too much TMI for some people, um, but we all experience moments like this. So I had a horrible stomach ache and a horrible stomach thing. And I basically shit my pants running from the tents to the bathroom. And it was the most ridiculous experience of my life, the most embarrassed I'd ever felt in my life. And luckily, my friend Mel was talking to me the whole night as I was like in the bathroom. So to anyone else who's been there, you're not alone. It happens to us all. Um, and so I just thought I was slightly sick. And I was like, okay, I'll get over this. I come back to LA. And by the way, Israel is one of the most beautiful, amazing countries. If you have the opportunity to go there, I highly suggest going there. 
Um, that is where part of my spiritual awakening happened um, in spot particularly, and I will share that in a later episode. Um, but back to it. Uh, so I just thought I was sick and I came home to LA. My dad was saying, you know, you really don't look good. Um, take some antibiotics. And I was like, oh, I'll just wait till I go back to New York. So I go back to New York and, um, I went back to work and I went to the doctor and he gave me antibiotics and I felt pretty fine. Um, and I think it must have been a week later, one of my best friends um, and my coworkers said to me, you look yellow. If you're not going to call the doctor, I'm going to call him for you. And I hadn't really realized my shins had felt itchy, but I've had eczema my whole life. And so I didn't really think anything of it. I was just like, oh, my shins are itchy. And it was I believe it was January when this was going on. So I was in New York in January. My shins are itchy. Like, my skin is dry. It's fine. That's what I kept telling myself. Um, And so I went to the doctor. And he felt my stomach, my organs. And he said, your liver is inflamed. I said, what? How is that possible? I don't even drink that much. What do you mean? And he said, it's really inflamed. Let's get an MRI. Let's see what this is. Um, So at first I did an ultrasound and then I did an MRI. And I've been healthy my entire life. Uh, The only things in my life I've really experienced health-wise have been a bunch of cavities and a few broken bones from playing sports. Other than that, I've had perfect health. And... So I get an MRI and he says, oh, it just looks like a tiny little cyst, maybe the size of like your pinky nail, something really small. And of course, I still freaked out. And I, my parents actually, um, and then the other, I went to this gastroenterologist as well. And he's the one who really sat with me and really was just such a beautiful, loving human. Um, He's sat with me after hours and really, like, went above and beyond for me on a lot of things. Um, And my parents flew out the next day, and we were looking, seeking different surgeons in New York. Um, And we came back, we actually decided to come back to L.A. uh, because... The, I was told that the recovery would be about four weeks, I believe they said. And turns out um, I had to wait about a month before my surgery actually happened because the cyst was blocking my bile ducts, which were built, and because of that, bilirubin was building up. So a normal bilirubin blood count, I believe, is under 1, and mine was at 17. So with the buildup of the bilirubin, then my digestion was off, and uh, basically with your gallbladder, um, it's, uh, it squirts out, um, what is it? Oh, I'm blinking right now. It basically helps digest fats. Um, and... So with my liver and gallbladder area not working, um, it was affecting the rest of my health, which is also how I ended up getting jaundice, was because the cyst was in this exact spot that it was blocking my bile ducts. Um, And so basically, I had, I believe it was four different stent operations so that I could, um, where they went down my throat so that... um, I could get stents put into the bile ducts so that they would still try to flow a little bit. I was on a very limited diet. I don't even recall what it was because any time I've not enjoyed parts of my life, I've tried to erase those memories. Uh, So I, I believe it was like applesauce. It was like super, super, super bland basic diet. So it was basically one month of me sitting around waiting for this operation to happen. And then come, I believe it was March 2nd actually, come March 2nd, I had an eight and a half hour surgery, 
where they removed half my liver and my gallbladder and my cyst was not the size of a fingernail. It was actually the size of a softball. And the surgeon told me that I was one of 200 cases reported around the world. Um, it was called a mucus cystadenoma and that they had no idea how it formed. They believed that it might have formed from, that I was probably born with it, and that taking birth control contributed to it growing bigger. But they said that they honestly just had no idea how it was formed. And through that experience, I have never prayed more in my life than going, than through that time. I asked God, I asked every higher power I had ever heard of. Um, I said, if there's any, if there's a reason for me to be here, let me know. If, if whatever it was, I just, I felt like my body had failed me. I felt like I had failed myself. And through that experience is, that was my closest experience to death. And that was a huge pivot for me in understanding the power of the body and the power of manifestation and what happens when you don't deal with things on the spiritual level. They manifest into an emotional level. And then if you don't deal with them in the emotional level, they manifest into the physical level in the physical sphere. So at the time I didn't put this together However, now my belief is that I didn't deal with the anger, sadness, frustration, and multiple other emotions surrounding my physically abused, my abusive relationship. And I brushed them all under the carpet for so many years. I didn't really speak to them, anyone about them. I barely, I was seeing a therapist and I was barely even telling my therapist about it because I had so much shame and guilt around what had happened and I was so embarrassed about it that I just didn't tell anyone. And um, luckily I did have Eden that I told, but I it took me years to get to the point of talking to therapists and talking to my family and my other friends about it, um, about what I had actually experienced. So this surgery is what catapulted me into so many different things. Um, after the surgery, I was like, cool, I'm going to move back to LA. Um, I want to be closer to my family. I also, um, my friend Mel, uh, she was like, give me your phone. I'm creating a dating app for you you're gonna start dating and I mean I obviously chose to do that but I just thought it was funny how she was so um she jumped on board so quickly about it she was like great I'll create your profile for you let's go uh and after in like the two-month recovery after the surgery was when I began to let go of a lot I began to let go of controlling I understood more that I was here for a bigger purpose than what I was doing and I didn't know what it was so I was just patient with it like okay well I'm just gonna keep putting one foot in front of the other and I started dating I met a really handsome and amazing Israeli guy uh, who was the greatest sex of my life um, and then he didn't treat me well after, uh, at the end of the day, just like canceled a few times and stuff. And I remember thinking like, oh no, okay. I really like this guy. Uh, and he's just not treating me well. And then I, so I was hurt by it again. And then I moved through it and I, of course, was like, okay, cool, I'm just going to meet up with a whole bunch of other guys, um, and I'll be getting into my dating es escapades soon um, on another episode, but I 
then uh, matched with my then to be my next boyfriend. Um, he was in LA. I was in New York. So I moved back to New York for a little while and started a relationship with him uh, for about a year. And then I moved back to LA. And three weeks later, he dumped me. And I had had a feeling that he was cheating on me, but I didn't want to know the truth. And I didn't want to know the truth for about two years later, too. <laughs> uh, I was in a deep entanglement with this amazing man that I kept choosing self-sabotage. I kept choosing to play his game. I kept choosing to not do what was best for me. And being cheated on taught me how to unconditionally love someone. And I have so many beautiful, beautiful lessons from that relationship which I'll be sharing in another episode. I feel like I've said that at least five times by now. Um, but that relationship is one that I I learned the most about myself um, and that, well, it was a year-long exclusive relationship and we kept sleeping together for about two and a half years. So it was about, let's just say, two and a half, three years, or three and a half years, I guess. Wow, that was a long time. Um Three and a half years again. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. So, after all of the um, different times that I would enter these cycles with men that, and a few women, but mainly men, that um, were toxic to me, I kept seeing that I was choosing them. I kept seeing that I was doing it. I kept seeing that I just was wanting attention or I was wanting to feel something. And I was filling the void. And through my life, I had realized that there were different times that I would cope. I would use drugs, sex, alcohol, and food as my coping mechanisms instead of experiencing and processing my emotions. And as I was, as my ex and I stopped sleeping together, I saw more and more of what I had been doing in that relationship. And I saw that the other relationships in my life, the other men I was dating at the time, were different versions of the same thing. And I thought, all right, cool. The common denominator here is me. And what am I going to do to change this? So for all of 2019, I decided to date myself. I decided, all right, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just not going to date. I'm going to go inwards. And um, although I had already been on a journey of introspection for a deep introspection for a solid few years before that, I knew that in order for myself to grow more and in order for me to really be calling in the type of relationship I deserve and desire, I needed to just stop and I needed to date myself. So 2019 was hands down the biggest year of healing, growth, and transformation I've ever had in my life. It honestly felt like I had 10 years of learnings all in one year. 2019 was the year that I stepped into my power and purpose. 2019 was the year that I started my companies and I started to grow my community. I I catapulted. I went on multiple launching pads and I just kept jumping off of them. And I am so extremely grateful that I took that chance on myself. And I am extremely grateful that every single thing, no matter how painful, no matter how full of joy, every single little tiny moment, every experience, every lesson brought me to where I am now.
And without each of those going exactly as they did, today wouldn't be what it is today. And I'm just so grateful to be exactly here right now. And I'm so excited to share more of these, each of these individual big pivots that I mentioned, share more of what they were and what I learned from them and how that brought me to being the coach and mentor that I am today. And I firmly believe that our experiences are some of our greatest knowledge and expertise. And I'm just so honored to be sharing that with you. So coming up on future episodes are my adoption story, um, some self-healer tips, and also more about my biggest pivots and my biggest lessons. Thank you so much for listening to my completely unscripted rant. Uh, I am truly honored that you are listening to this, and I'm so grateful to connect with you. Uh, If you have any questions, please reach out to me. Um, Info is in the show notes. And uh, if you loved this, then please rate and review and share with one of your friends. All right, sending you so, so, so much love. I love you so very much. And I say that I love you because I really do. I love you because you're in this beautiful realm, planet, universe existing with me at the same time. And I love you for being here no matter how you choose to show up today. Thank you. Love you.